0: Good morning, Living Hope. God bless you. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, thank you, worship team. Can we give God some praise for our worship team? Thank you guys for serving us today and leading us in worship. Well, if you don't know who I am, my name is Ed Mejia. I am the church planting resident here at Living Hope Church, and I got updates, church. I got good updates, okay? Well, let me start here. First and foremost, my wife and I just celebrated 11 years married. Come on, y'all. God is good. Got us together. Hello. It's been a great 11 years, 15 years together, so we just got to celebrate that, and we took a trip out to Arizona. We, you know, so part of our anniversary was spending it out there, and the other part of the trip was meeting with local pastors in the area from the Acts 29 network who have planted in Chandler, excuse me, in Gilbert. Arizona, And so we got to connect with them, and I got nothing but good things to say. I don't want to take too much time, but you know that feeling when things just align in such a way that you know man couldn't do that? You know that feeling that you see God just putting things together, and you can't help but to give no one else credit but God and God alone, and that's exactly what we came back and And listen, I got to tell you, it's just been a blessing, and if you want to know more, I promise we'll get more details soon, or you could just ask me after service. I'll definitely share and get into the nitty-gritty, but let's just say we're off to a fantastic, fantastic start. Amen? Now, I know what you're thinking. Let's talk about the elephant in the room, okay? I know what you're thinking. You're wondering... Man, Ed got a nice tan in Arizona, right? I know, I know. In reality, I was just messing around with the kids in the pool and we just got scraped up. But I'm okay and we're good to go, okay? Thankfully, we're not talking about my beauty today. We're talking about about the beauty and the glory of Jesus. And if you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to encourage you and invite you over to open up to Psalms 27. Or you could swipe over if you're using a phone app. Let's go over to Psalms 27. So, my question for you today, before we read this, is simply this. We're talking about the beauty and glory of God. How would you define beauty? We've all heard it said that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. We know beauty can be subjective, but but how would you define it? For me, it's Maggie Mejia. Oh, Lord, that is my standard of beauty, ladies and gentlemen. I thank God for my wife. But we know that culture... as as George was saying, has, has shown us this broken picture or definition of what beauty is. We know many cultures throughout history have been obsessed even with beauty. In 2019, check this out, the beauty industry is a $380 billion industry. And the standards over time has pretty much always been the same, right? It's always been status or wealth or, or, or how to attract and retain a mate. It would, it would signal social status. And in some cases, it just, you just felt good looking good, right? And there was a time where, where, where beauty was pretty much like defined in our culture mainly through magazines and entertainment. It was mainly there at one point. But in this last generation, there's been a shift with technology coming in and the rise of the selfie generation. Beauty has also been shifted in how it's been presented to the culture. In fact, I was reading uh, an article in National Geographic that says, we as a, so- as a society excuse me, have, be- have come to equate beauty with humanity. If we don't see the beauty in another person, we are blind to the person's humanity. It's scary how important beauty has become. It goes to the very soulfulness of a person. The new definition of beauty is being written by a selfie generation, people who are cover stars of their own narrative. The beauty isn't defined by hairstyles or body shapes, by age or skin color. Beauty is becoming less a matter of aesthetics and more about self-awareness, personal swagger, and individuality. Now, I see some, some good in that, right? Like, I'm blessed by the fact that my my sons and my daughters don't have to grow up in a world where they feel they need to look like this person or that person to be considered beautiful. But I think it goes south in the fact that this pursuit that culture has of beauty still remains unsatisfying and leads to restlessness. Because individuality means nothing without identity. If I don't know who I am, I'm going to keep looking to other people, to my career, to my bank account, to what my parents say, to what my people think of me to define who I am or to, to help me figure out who I am. Apart from Christ, we all lack confidence in life. When our identity is rooted in Christ, we will be left striving to either define or prove who we think we are and who we want others to believe we are. But the good news is that there's a better way. And today, I want us to look beyond culture's definition of beauty and look at the true source of all beauty and glory. And as we look at this source of beauty and glory, which is God himself, my prayer is that we will find how to find the satisfaction in our soul's See, that's why I think we we took on the attributes of God this summer. I think it was probably one of my favorite series I've been a part of or ever heard in a while. And and quite frankly, it stirred something in me to say, man, I need a yearly rotation of the attributes of God in my ear. I need to often be reminded of who God is, of all his beauty, of all his majesty. See, we, we did this attribute because we wanted the church, and all of us, we wanted to behold him Because if we are to enjoy and obey God, it's essential that we know who he is. So the purpose of this series was to help us study, to help us understand, and to help us as a church to live in the reality of God's many attributes. Our goal was to uphold the beauty of God so that we as a church would be captivated by who he is and moved to worship and obedience. Let's face it, all that we've seen this summer has been the beauty the glory of God. And if you missed any of the, of the series, because I know we vacationed and we got out, we might have missed some Sundays. Here's some better news. Go to our website. You'll find the entire series there. You can find it on the church podcast and also on YouTube if you missed anything. But here, I just want to give a, a quick, in case you missed it, just a little recap of the attributes that we looked at this summer. First one we got to look at was the consisti- consistency in Trinity. We got to see that God is one being, that God eternally exists as one being in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We got to see the eternality and spirituality of God, that God is eternal and self-existent, that nobody created God. We also got to see that his truthfulness and faithfulness, that all that God is and does and says is true. Isn't it beautiful to know that God's word will never fail? The unchangeableness and activity of God. We got to see that God will not change on us. That God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And yet God is actively interacting with his creation. He responds to us and feels emotions. We also got to look at the knowledge and wisdom of God. That God knows everything, everything fully. One of my favorite worship lyrics is uh, indescribable where he says, You see the depths of my heart and you love me the same. The fact that God knows me, knows fully who I am, and still has made a way to save me, to love me, to rescue me, to see his wisdom. That God knows the best means to the best goals. I mean, we looked at his justice, his wrath, his mercy, patience. We looked at his love and grace. And today, of course, looking at his beauty and glory. So today what I want to do is, I want to define beauty and glory in, in, in a basic form. I want to dive into Psalms 27, and I want to just walk, us, walk us through it. Beauty and glory, as defined uh, by Wayne Grudem, says that God is a sum total of every quality that is good, excellent, beautiful, and desirable. So let's open up to Psalms 27. Let's read together, and then I'll pray for us, and we'll dive right in. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil doers assail me to eat of my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we ask that your word, Lord, would grip our hearts, that it would cut if necessary, that it would illuminate, Father, areas in our minds, in our hearts, and our lives, and our perspectives that we've never seen before. Holy Spirit, guide us to all truth. Show us your way. Speak to us today, Father. We are hungry for you. We are hungry to behold you, Lord, and we pray that we would experience um, your presence, the beauty and the glory of your presence, even as we work through this psalm and hear your word we trust you lord we love you and it's in your great name we pray amen all right so let's give some context here psalm 27 obviously is written by king david if you notice right under it says it's a psalm of david the psalmist here sings this song that not only expresses confidence in god but also demonstrates how to cultivate confidence for the challenges we face in life and so if you're taking notes today, I, I broke the, this, this psalm up into five sections. And, and, and if I guess I had to subtitle this, this sermon, aside from beauty and glory, it would simply be, you know, five ways the beauty and glory of God causes us to grow in grace. Okay, five ways the glory and the beauty of God causes us to grow in grace. Verses 1 through 3, uh, we see David opens with an expression of his confidence in the Lord. He says the Lord is his light, his salvation, his stronghold. And, and the response in, 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 in who God is to him is, is this fearlessness, is this boldness. The Lord keeps David secure in the face of fear and if I had to give this this first idea of what we're seeing in verses one through three is we're seeing that the beauty of the glory beauty and the glory of God cultivates confidence god's presence is David's protection in these first three verses. David says, "The Lord is my light and my salvation he says the Lord." Is He understands that God is present, that God is with him. The Lord is my life. He is my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Not will be, not has been. He is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? He says, when evildoers assail me to eat of my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it's they who stumble and fall. And he's so confident. I love how his confidence just grows bigger and bigger to the point that it's like, Dave, you're kind of like a little crazy right now, my man. He's like, my confidence in the Lord, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Singular. But he becomes so confident that by the end of this, he's like, even if an army camps against me, I'm not going to be afraid. I will be confident. You know, my daughter, Olivia, she's, she's eight years old, and she's really coming into herself. Like, she really is. Her little personality, her little character is really developing right before our very eyes. And, you know, as a dad, I know that beauty is going to matter to her. I know. So early on, when she was young, you know, I would be like, Olivia, why are you so beautiful? Why are you so sweet? Why are you so kind? Why are you so funny? And, and we taught her to answer, because God made me that way. And I feel like she's starting to own that. Like, she's starting to pick up on these things, and she's starting to really own some of this. In fact, my wife told me that she was hanging out at her aunt's house, and so her cousins didn't want to play the same thing Livy wanted to play. So Livy felt a little sad. So here comes auntie, and she's like, hey, Liv, it's okay if you don't want to play what they're playing. You don't have to apologize for being Olivia. It's okay. Another one of those statements that she owned, I'll prove it to you. Very next day in the house, this girl is singing at the top of her lungs and doesn't care who doesn't like her voice, who doesn't like the song, didn't care what time it was. And she's looking at us like, I will not apologize for being Olivia. I'm like, really? But here's what I'm picking up from her. The confidence is cultivated over time in the presence of someone you trust. You start believing Things that are true about you, when someone you trust and you're around them, says them to you. Olivia heard us say, hey, God made you. God made you unique. She heard from her aunt, hey, baby, look, don't apologize for being yourself. It's okay to have your own opinion. And out of people she trusted, being around them, being able to express that, she started to really own it for herself. The intimate knowledge of God's protecting presence is what gives confidence and banishes fear in David's life. Regardless of how great the adversities are, David fears no man, no war, no opposition can touch him because his heart is strengthened in the presence of the Lord. Friends and family, when fear tries to dislocate your faith, locate God. When fear tries to knock you off your 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 horse, for lack of better words, locate God. Look to him. This is what David's doing. He's saying, the Lord is my light. His eyes on are on the Lord, not even his enemies. It's not even on anything else but the Lord himself. And therefore, confidence is just being cultivated in David's heart. And let's read verses 4 through 6. He says, one thing, David says, I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Now, let me just stop there for a second, because here you see David's kind of switch modes, right? He's going from this confident declaration that the Lord is his confidence, the Lord is his strength. And now he kind of brings us into the, the behind the scenes. He kind of takes us into like his, his intimate relationship with God for a minute to show you this is how this confidence that you see is actually Born how it actually works out And here's what I love we see that he doesn't ask for victory in battle His one request isn't that God would change the people and things around him externally His one thing the one thing he asked for is to dwell In the house of the Lord See this has more to do with who David's meeting than where David's meeting And what's the purpose of this dwelling? What's the purpose of being in the house of the Lord? Well, he says himself, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. You know, to gaze is, is, is to look steadily, intently with admiration and affection. You know that feeling. Some of you got to vacation and got to see beautiful sunsets and sunrise, and some of you even took a trip out to Arizona and got to see the Grand canyon and, and, and some of you got to see this the, the the full moon that was happening you know all all, this, all the summer long and, 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 and at some point you got to stop because you can 't just look at it right In fact, I remember when we were driving um, through Sedona. We were driving in in Arizona. I remember we we took a drive up last year and we went to Sedona where the red rocks and the mountains are. And I remember we were driving and and, and my wife kept getting mad at me, y'all, because of course I'm the one driving and she's looking out the window. She's like, oh my goodness, babe, look at these things. And I'm like, I can't, I'm driving. And then when I would actually try to look, she would elbow me like, keep your eyes on the road, right? So it was like, "What, what, what are we doing here, right? And so at some point I could not help it. I had to park. I had to stop. I had to stop. See, we can't Really gaze upon the beauty of God, just like I couldn't gaze upon the beauty of those mountains without stopping, without getting out and just taking it in, taking your time. And this is what David's doing, he's going in to take his time. He wants to look at the Lord, he wants to just. Like water going down, like as you drink, taking it all in slowly. So how do we define the beauty of God? Well, Wayne Grudem defines it like this. He says he's the sum total of every quality that is good, excellent, and desirable. And obviously this attribute overlaps with other attributes, such as like perfection, for example. And you know, when we look at the attribute that God is perfect, it means that God lacks no good thing and nothing, excuse me, that God does not lack anything that would be desirable for him. Well, beauty is pretty much the same definition, but in a positive way, right? It says that God actually does have everything that is desirable and that he alone is the source of ultimate fulfillment. That's why you hear David often talk like this. He said he, he, you know, asked the deer panties for the water, so my soul thirst after thee. Right? Or Psalm 73, 25, where he says, Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth I desire beside you. David was captivated with the beauty of God to the extent that nothing on earth was his desire, but God. And this, this is what true beauty is, right? This beauty that is, is beyond everything we see here on earth. Grudem says that the beauty of God, he says, that it's a desire that culminates in a longing to be near God and to enjoy his presence forevermore. God's beauty is what the faithful yearn for. And I'll give you some practical examples of how this same experience is true for us. For example, like I love songwriting. I love hip-hop. I love fashion. I love a lot of different things. And not for nothing, when I really like something, I kind of want to know who made it. I kind of want to get to know them. How does your mind work? How do you get this idea? He's saying that the beauty of God, it kind of functions the same way. It, It points to this glorious creator that you want to know and be with. It's not beauty for beauty's sake. It's beauty to draw you near. Everything that's beautiful, the smile of a child, the flowers, sun, all of this points to the true source of all beauty and the place, the one that we want to be with. It draws us in. God is what we desire. And so to just to give you some handles on how do we actually gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, I'll give you some basic ones. Colossians 3 2 says that we should set our minds on things of above. Philippians 4 8, right? Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever's lovely, what is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You know, when the Bible speaks about meditation, meditating on the Lord, that's a form of gazing. And meditation in, in the Word of God is very different from meditation in the world. Make that clear. See, in the world, meditation is about emptying your mind. Empty your mind of everything you've been stressed about, blah, 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 right? Which is unrealistic, guys. Right? But the Word of God says meditating is filling Your mind with the Word of God. It's filling your mind with the truth of who God is. It's just beholding Him over and over and over again. So, what does this gazing upon the beauty of the Lord do for David? I'm glad you asked. Well, verse 5 tells us. He says, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon the rock. This gazing reminds David of who God is. This gazing helps David remember. And and I love it because it almost like it's, it's as if he preaches the gospel to his own heart here. He says, for he will hide me in his shelter. In the day of trouble, he will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. He reminds himself of all that God will do on his behalf because of who God is. So, whenever you're you're, you're shaking, whenever you're you're feeling that that kind of like that burden, that pressure, there comes a moment that you need to gaze upon the beauty of God to give you. The very confidence of a preacher to preach to your own heart, God is my light and my salvation. He is the stronghold of my life. He's now filled with this confidence yet again. Look at verse 6, and now my head shall be lifted up. Above my enemies all around me. And I will offer it in his tent. Sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. David, gazing upon the beauty of the Lord, fills his own heart with confidence and encouragement that God will lift him up above his enemies. And David, I love his response. This is what gazing does. Gazing upon the beauty of God puts this response inside of us. To be in His presence with shouts of joy and a song, with the melody, He worships the Lord. Have you ever seen yourself at your happiest? Like you—you you notice know, the thing we don't really like, pay attention to ourselves when we're like super happy, right? But people notice, and usually, when you're really, really happy—I mean, like super happy. You're humming something, you're whistling something, you be singing something, you might even have a little dance, a little pep in your step. But one thing is for sure, worship pours out of us when our hearts are satisfied and secured in the Lord. When our eyes have gazed upon the Lord, worship just pours out. That's the result of gazing. And I'm not just talking about just singing. I'm talking about this attitude of the heart. Right? Like you're singing and, and you don't care who hears your song to some extent. Like you're just singing. You're just happy. Well, in the same way, when, when your heart has been gazing upon the Lord and you feel that joy, believe it or not, there's a witness that comes out of you. There's a desire to, to tell others about this living bread this god who loves you this god who is your stronghold the god who is your light and your salvation it just flows out of you gazing upon the beauty of the lord produces all this in our heart and now as we look at verses 7 through 12 i love this because now we're talking about how the beauty and the glory of god is our strength in dark times David, in the following verses, begins to address the Lord directly in prayer. And his request is that God would continue showing him favor by way of his presence. Look at verse 8 and 9. You have said, seek my face. He's talking to the Lord. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. Now, is David like kind of like switching songs here because he just went from super confident to god don't cast me off god don't 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 leave me god don't hide your face from me no here's what david's doing he's saying that in the midst of great trial he's going to seek the face of god and that's something we need we need to be reminded that when things get worse, that's the moment you need to seek the face of God. You need to run into God's presence. See, David, in light of his enemies, in light of everything that's going on around him, he could have been dragged into discouragement. He could have been pulled into resentment, beat down into anger and discouragement. But, but here we see this beautiful picture of beholding the beauty and glory of God as not some pie-in-the-sky idea. This is not some power of positive thinking kind of thing. This is a real time, real situation, real trial, help for us, and it's a real desire, it's a real call that God makes to us. Come to me, seek my face, is what God says to us. With all that's going on in Afghanistan, in Haiti, in your life, in your marriage, with your kids, in your finances, in the world around you, the call is the same, seek my face. if you 're facing cancer if you're just if suicide is knocking on your door i 'm here to tell you you can seek the face of God and he will not withhold from you. look at verse ten I mean David gets so honest and so vulnerable and here 's the cool part this is the the uh, the interesting thing as David is beholding the beauty and the glory of God he 's expressing The ugly fears and concerns and ugly things that have happened in his life. The fear that God will leave him is, it's an ugly thing, right? Or or look at verse 10 where he says, my father and my mother have forsaken me. That's an ugly thing. But David feels safe enough to bring these things before the Lord. Because he remembers as he's beholding the beauty of God, how his true relationship with God, his father, it changes everything. So, friends, that, that's not, seeking God's face is not only about situations of life. It's very much about relationships that matter to you. When people fail you, when friends fail you, when mom and dad turn their back on you, David says, the Lord will take me in. And God will take you in. And finally, David asked for guidance in verses 11 and 12. He asked for guidance in life because of his enemies. Beloved, if we want to experience the beauty of God, if we want to experience the glory of God, we can ask the Holy Spirit to guide us. Look how he prays, teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemy. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. David is not playing. He's coming to God with some real needs. So I don't want you to get this idea that this intimacy with God is for just for the sensitive who who love art and love music and have a lot of emotion no this is not this this is not what we're talking about we're talking about real life situations real reasons that David's saying I need to seek the face of God I need to behold him I need to be with him and I need his guidance I need him to show me how to live in light of all my enemies and all my adversaries David here isn't Trying to play church. David has a real need for God. And what we're seeing in this is that the beauty and the glory of God is our strength in dark times. That's what we see in this section from verses 7 through 12. Now in verse 13, David makes a very interesting confession. And here we're going to see how the beauty and the glory of God transforms us. Look what he says in verse 13. He says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. David uses these words, the goodness of the Lord. And you know that those terms, the goodness of the Lord, comes up in another intimate encounter in the Old Testament. Between Moses and the Lord. If you remember in Exodus... And if you don't, that's Exodus 33 verses 17 through 23. And I'll just read it for you. You don't have to look it up. Look what it says. This is, this is Moses and God and they're alone. This is the intimate moment between Moses and God. Look what, look what the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do for you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, the Lord, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you. With my hand until I have passed by. God was going to show Moses his glory, and God showed him his goodness. See, the glory of God is clearly seen in the goodness of God. That's why, as we looked at the attributes, it was very interesting, right? Because it seemed like every time they brought up another attribute, that attribute had to connect it with another one. Because it's all encompassed in the reality that God is good. And that is the glory of God. You know, it's interesting too, and following that chapter in chapter 33 after Moses was with God, it says that he went down the mountain and that there was literal beams of light shining off his face to the point that people were afraid to draw near to Moses. When he would speak with the Lord, he would remove the veil, but when he would speak to the people, he would put the veil back on. That light was like a visible manifestation of the excellence of God's character. So what exactly is the glory of God? Well, let's talk about that. Grudem says in a sense, it means honor or excellent reputation, right? To give glory is to give credit, to give honor, and to say, to give excellent, uh, reputation of it. isaiah 43 7 says that god's children were created for his glory romans 3 23 we have all fallen short of the glory of god hebrews 1 3 says that the sun is the radiance of the glory of god in this sense the glory of god is not exactly an attribute of his being but rather describes a high honor that should be given to god by everything in the universe but in another sense God's glory means the bright light that surrounds God's presence. Since God is spirit, not energy or matter, the visible light is not part of God's being, but is something that is created. So Grudem defines it this way. He says God's glory is the created brightness that surrounds God's revelation of himself. I'll give you some examples. In Psalms 104, it says, O oh Lord, you are very great. You are clothed in splendor and majesty. You cover yourself with light as a garment. Or how about Luke chapter 2, verses 9, at Jesus' birth, when the shepherds heard the announcement that, that the angel of the Lord said, the, the glory of the Lord shined around them and they were filled with great fear. Or how about the transfiguration in Matthew 17, right? Or speaking of the Lord, Paul says he dwells in unapproachable light. 1 Timothy 6.16 And finally, one day in Revelation 21.23, it says, And finally, in heaven one day we will live in a city that has no need for sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God will give it light, and its lamp is the Lamb." This is the goodness of God that David longs to see. This is the glory of God that David wants to see. David wants to see it, and he wants to reflect it in his life in the land of the living. And though we do not find ourselves surrounded by a visible light, there is a brightness, church, a splendor, a beauty about the manner of life of a person who deeply loves God. This is why people say there's something different about you. You don't respond to things the same way as others. I don't know what it is, but there's something about you. You know what that is? It's the glory of God. It's God's imprint on you. The glory of God is the full splendor and supremacy of his being that invokes awe and worship in us as believers for sure, but those who don't know it causes some confusion like, you are not like the other ones. It's because we love the Lord and that light of his glory shines to those around us. In verse 14, we finally see that the beauty and the glory of God is experienced in the waiting. Look how David closes this section. He says, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. His call to wait is not a a passive waiting. It's an active dependence and trust in the Lord. One can argue that this whole chapter is a demonstration of how we wait on the Lord. Like, If you think about it from verse 1, David remembered, he gazed, he inquired, he prayed, he hid in the Lord, he took refuge in the Lord, he was taught God's ways, he was led by his spirit. This is how we wait. But church, there was a time where we did not have this kind of access to God. There was a time that we could not draw near to behold his glory, his goodness, his beauty. In his holiness and in our sinfulness, there was no way for us to see it. In that state, all we can see, in our sinful state, all we can see is the ugly consequence of sin and the righteous wrath of God. But God, in his mercy and love, sends his son To take on our sin, to take on every blemish, to take on all the ugliness, to take on the ashes by his death on the cross to one day give us his beauty. And this is a beauty that will never fade, church. It was his death and resurrection that made a way for us to draw near to the living God that we might behold him. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit that enables us to see the beauty and the glory of God in such a way that changes us. It was God who drew you in. It was God who lifted up your eyes. I love how Second Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The gospel church is God's light. It's it's his shining, his light into our dark hearts. How do we see the beauty and the glory of Christ? If I had to sum up this whole sermon, how do you see the, the, the beauty and the glory of Christ? It's simply this. Look to Jesus. He is the full manifestation, the fullness of the beauty and the glory of God. And there is something deeply transformational about beholding this beauty and glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Moses knew this. David knew this. The disciples got to see it too. And you and I are being invited once again this morning by the Spirit of God to experience a beauty and a glory that transforms. A beauty and a light. Because we have beheld this light shining out of darkness, we can be transformed. We don't have to hide in the dark anymore. There's no need to hide our stains, our scars, our sin, our shame. There's no need to hide. There's no reason to have skeletons in the closet. Today, we can bring those things to Jesus and receive beauty for our ashes for the things that have been destroyed in and around us. We can come to Jesus and give those things to Him. And He can give us a restored beauty, His own beauty. We can exchange our shame for His glory. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, We all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. Did did you hear that? This pretty much puts everything we just said in, in one verse. Transformation happens from one degree of glory to another. Now listen, change can be radical. You can go from... I've been a heroin addict for 12 years to clean. God can do that. Okay, he sure can. But but I don't want you to miss this. The change in here says that it's one degree to another. Even the smallest change in your life is a significant change. But, but the key to that is not that you forced the change or that it came by your effort. No, it came by beholding him. It ends, the verse ends by saying, for this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. It doesn't come from our effort, doesn't come from our religion, doesn't come from our good behavior, doesn't come from any of that. At least not in a way that will last, not in a way that is true, because once we behold Him, we get to see, He took my sin, He took my shame, and He gives me His righteousness, He gives me His Spirit, He gives me everything I need for life and godliness. So that change." from one degree to another, can be as simple as, I want to pray today. I want to read another chapter today. I want to get in community. Where I once didn't want to do that, I now do. One degree. Isn't that amazing? That, That the grace of God is slowly, progressively sanctifying us and changing us, but it's the beauty and the glory of God that brings that transformation on. So today... You can experience that transformation. This is why Christ saved you. This is why God brought you into his kingdom. So that you would be transformed into the likeness of his son. Into the truest of all beauties. The greatest beauty you will ever experience and ever know. He gave his son to make us more like his son by the power of his son. Isn't that amazing? That no matter what you're going through, God is always at work To help you to behold him. That change is possible. Joy is possible. Freedom is possible. As we look to Christ by the power of the spirit, change and transformation is real. And that's what gives us this confidence in this gospel we preach. That God is the one at work. That God is the one at work in us. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And as I close, I I just want you who are sitting there and thinking about, man, like, have I been beholding the beauty and glory of God? Have I been going through the motions? Have I just been trying to get by? Have I been just keeping habits going and and not really feeling awe and wonder and and inspiration of who God is? Today, I want to invite you to look again. Today, I want to encourage you to look again. If, if somewhere you feel dry in your soul and in your spirit, it, it's not a matter of what you need to do. The answer is behold. I love that our gospel says, behold, then become. Not become and then behold. Thank God. Today, I want to invite you to behold the beauty and the glory of Christ by the power of the Spirit and may it transform me from the inside out. In such a way that his glory can be seen in and through your life. And finally, church, in such a way that when you see yourself, you see yourself as God sees you in Christ. Beautiful and glorious.